Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program. I live in Southern California, Los Angeles. This is Baja Norte. If you do not speak Spanish in Los Angeles, you're missing out on a whole lot. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. And for a very limited time, LeVar Burton Reed's listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash LeVar. That's rosettastone.com slash L-E-V-A-R. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. LeVar Burton Reads is supported by Audible. Audiobooks are great for helping you be a better you, whether you want to feel healthier, get motivated, or even learn something new. And with an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more, Audible has all of the audio content you need to start your year out on the right foot. And I'm going to start you off with a recommendation. I want you to check out the memoir, The Color of Water by James McBride. It is indeed a great listen. So, whether it's on your phone, through your car, from a tablet, or at home on an Amazon Echo, you can get through tons of books while doing almost anything. And Audible even lets you switch seamlessly between devices, picking up exactly where you left off. Start a 30-day trial and your first audiobook is free. Go to audible.com slash LeVar or text LeVar, that's L-E-V-A-R, to 500-500. That's audible.com slash LeVar or text LeVar to 500-500 for a 30-day trial and free first audiobook. You can do it with audiobooks. I'm LeVar Burton, and this is LeVar Burton Reads. In every episode, I handpick a different piece of short fiction, and I read it to you. The only thing that these stories have in common is that I love them, and I hope you will too. Today's story is from a beautiful writer, Amal El Mokhtar. Amal is a writer of Lebanese origin, and she writes both fiction and poetry. This particular story won the Locus Award in Science Fiction and Fantasy. She's also written a book called The Honey Month with different writings inspired by tastings of 28 different kinds of honey. Today's story is set in Glasgow, Scotland, and follows a young girl named Anissa who has moved from Lebanon to the UK uh, with her mother. Her father remains behind in Lebanon for the time being. Now, the story has a couple of different allusions to these very ancient stories in Middle Welsh. And if you are a native Welsh speaker, please be gentle and forgiving. 
One of the stories featured prominently in today's reading is the story of Bladoweth, the Welsh goddess of spring. Bladoweth is a woman who was made of flowers and had a flower face. And as the story goes, when she was unfaithful to her husband, her punishment was that she was turned into a night bird or an owl. So, if you're ready, let's take a deep breath. <sighs> the Truth About Owls by Amal El Mukhtar. Owls have eyes that match the skies they hunt through. Amber-eyed owls hunt at dawn or dusk. Golden-eyed owls hunt during the day. Black-eyed owls hunt at night. No one knows why this is. Anisa's eyes are black, and she no longer hates them. She used to wish for eyes the color of her father's, the beautiful pale green-blue that people were always startled to see in a brown face. But she likes, now, having eyes and hair of a color those same people find frightening. Even her teachers are disconcerted, she's found. They don't try to herd her as they do the other students. She sees them casting uncertain glances towards her before ushering their group from one owl exhibit to another, following the guide. She turns to go in the opposite direction. Anisa! Annie! This way! She turns, teeth clenching. Mrs. Roberts, whose pale powdered face, upswept yellow hair, and bright red lips make Anisa think of Victoria Sponge, is smiling encouragingly. My name is Anissa, actually, she replies, and feels the power twitching out from her chest and into her arms, which she crosses quickly, and her hands, which she makes into fists, digging nails into her palms. The power recedes, but she can still feel it pouring out from her eyes like a swarm of bees, while Mrs. Roberts looks at her in perplexed confusion. Mrs. Roberts' eyes are a delicate, ceramic sort of blue. Anissa watches another teacher, Mrs. Grewer, lean over to murmur something into Mrs. Roberts' ear. Mrs. Roberts only looks more confused, but renews her smile uncertainly, nods, and turns back to her group. Anissa closes her eyes, takes a deep breath, and counts to ten before walking away. Owls are predators. There are owls that would tear you apart if you gave them half a chance.
The Scottish Owl Centre is a popular destination for school trips. A short bus ride from Glasgow, an educational component, lots of opportunities for photographs to show the parents, and who doesn't like owls nowadays? Anissa has found herself staring, more than once, at owl print bags and shirts, owl-shaped earrings and belt buckles, plush owl toys, and wire statues in bright, friendly colors. She finds it all desperately strange. Anissa remembers the first time she saw an owl. She was seven years old. She lived in Ria with her father and her grandparents. And that morning she had thrown a tantrum about having to feed the chickens, which she hated because of their smell and the way they pecked at her when she went to gather their eggs. And also because of the rooster, who was fierce and sharp-spurred. She hated the chickens, she shouted. Why didn't they just make them into soup? She was given more chores to do, which she did, fumingly, stomping her feet and banging cupboard doors and sometimes crying about how unfair it was. Are you brooding over the chickens? Her father would joke, trying to get her to laugh, which only made her more furious because she did want to laugh, but she didn't want him to think she wasn't still mad because she was. She had calmed down by lunch and forgotten about it by supper. But while helping her grandmother with the washing up, she heard a scream from the yard. Her grandmother darted out and Anissa followed, her hands dripping soap. An owl, enormous, tall as a lamb, taller than any bird she had ever seen, perched in the orange tree. The rooster, a tangle of blood and feathers in its talons, as Anissa stared, the owl bent its head to the rooster's throat and tore out a long strip of flesh. When Anissa thinks about this, and she does, often, whenever her hands are wet and soapy in just the right way, fingertips on the brink of wrinkling, she remembers the guilt. She remembers listening to her grandmother cross herself and speak her words of protection against harm warding them against death in the family, against troubled times. She remembers the fear, staring at the red and pink and green of the rooster, its broken, dangling head. But she can't remember, though she often tries, whether she felt, for the first time, the awful electric prickle of the power in her chest, flooding out to her palms. There are owls that sail through the air like great ships. There are owls that flit like finches from branch to branch. There are owls that look at you with disdain and owls that sway on the perch of your arm like a reed in the wind. Anissa is not afraid of owls. She thinks they're interesting enough when people aren't cooing over them or embroidering them onto cushions. From walking around the sanctuary, she thinks the owl she saw as a child was probably a Eurasian eagle owl. 
She wanders from cage to cage, environment to environment, looking at owls that bear no resemblance to the pretty patterns lining the hems of skirts and dresses. Owls that lack a facial disc. Owls with bulging eyes and fuzzy heads. Owls the size of her palm. Some of the owls have names distinct from their species. Husking, Brew, Sarabi. Anissa pauses in front of a barn owl and frowns at the name. Blow do wed? Blow do wed? She sounds out beneath her breath while the owl watches her. It's Bladoweth, actually, says a friendly voice behind her. Anissa turns to see one of the owl handlers from the flying display, a black woman named Izzy, hair wrapped in a brightly colored scarf, moving into one of the aviaries, gloved hands clutching a feed bucket. It means flower face in Welsh. Anissa flushes. She looks at the owl again. She has never seen a barn owl up close and does not think it looks like flowers. She thinks all at the same time, that the heart-shaped face is alien and eerie and beautiful, and like when you can see the moon while the sun is setting, and that there should be a single word for the color of the wings that's like the sheen of a pearl, but not the pearl itself. She asks, is it a boy or a girl? Do you not know the story of Bladoweth? Izzy smiles. She was a beautiful woman, made of flowers, who was turned into an owl. Anissa frowns. That doesn't make sense. It's from a book of fairy tales called The Mabignakian. <laughs> Not big on sense-making, Izzy chuckles. I don't think she likes it either, to be honest. She's one of our most difficult birds. But she came to us from Wales, so we gave her a Welsh name. Anissa looks into Bladeweth's eyes. They are blacker than her own. I like her, she declares. A group of owls is called a parliament. Owls are bad luck. The summer Anissa saw the owl kill the rooster was the summer Israel bombed the country. She always thinks of it that way. Not as a war. She doesn't remember a war. She never saw anyone fighting. She remembers a sound She felt, more than heard, a thud that shook the earth and rattled up through her bones. Then another. Then a smell like chalk, before being swept into her father's arms and taken down into shelter. She remembers feeling cold. She remembers, afterwards, anger, weeping, conversations half heard from her bed, her mother's voice reaching them in sobs from London, robotic and strangled over a poor internet connection, a mixing of English and Arabic, accents swapping places. Her father's voice always calm, measured, but with a tension running through it, like when her cousin put a wire through a dead frog's leg to make it twitch. She remembers asking her grandmother if Israel attacked because of the owl. Her grandmother laughed in a way that made Anissa feel hollow and lost. Shh, shh, don't tell Israel. An owl 
killed a rooster. That's more reason to attack. An owl killed a rooster in Lebanon and the government let it happen. Quick, get off the bridges. The whole family laughed. Anissa was terrified and told no one. Why did the owl not go courting in the rain? Because it was too wet to woo. What makes her difficult? asks Anissa, watching the doweth sway on her perch. Izzy looks fondly at the owl. Well, we acquired her as a potential display bird, but she just doesn't take well to training. She hisses at most of the handlers when they pass by, tries to bite. She's also very territorial and won't tolerate the presence of male birds, so we can't use her for breeding. Izzy offers Bladoweth a strip of raw chicken, which she gulps down serenely. But she likes you, Anissa observes. Izzy smiles ruefully. I'm not one of her trainers. It's easy to like people who ask nothing of you. Izzy pauses, eyes Bladoweth with exaggerated care. Or at least it's easy to not hate them. Before Anissa leaves with the rest of her class, Izzy writes down Mabignakian for her on a piece of paper. A rather deft doodle of an owl's face inside a five-petaled flower and an invitation to come again. Most owls are sexually dimorphic. The female is usually larger stronger and more brightly colored than the male. Anissa's mother is tall and fair, and Anissa looks nothing like her. Her mother's brown hair is light and thin and straight. Her mother's skin is pale. Anissa is used to people making assumptions. Are you adopted? Is that your stepmother? when they see them together. But her mother's new job at the university has made outings together rare. In fact, since moving to Glasgow, Anissa hardly sees her at home anymore, since she has evening classes and departmental responsibilities. What are you reading? asks her mother, shrugging on her coat after a hurried dinner together. Anissa, legs folded up underneath her on the couch, holds up a library copy of the Mabignakian, her mother looks confused, but nods, wishes her a good night, and leaves. Anissa reads about how Math, son of Mathanwi, gathered the blossoms of oak, of broom, of meadowsweet, and shaped them into a woman. She wonders idly what kind of flowers could be combined to make her. There are owls on every continent in the world, except Antarctica. The so-called war lasted just over a month. Anissa learned the word ceasefire in August. 
Her father put her on a plane to London the moment the airports were repaired. Before she started going to school, Anissa's mother took her aside. When people ask you where you're from, she told her, you say England, all right? You were born here. You have every bit as much right to be here as anyone else. Baba wasn't born here. She felt a stinging in her throat and eyes, a pain of unfair. Is that why he's not here? Is he not allowed to come? Anissa doesn't remember what her mother said. She must have said something, whatever it was. It was certainly not that she wouldn't see her father in person for three years. LeVar Burton Reads is supported by Audible. Audiobooks are great for helping you be a better you, whether you want to feel healthier, get motivated, or learn something new. And with an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more, Audible has all of the audio content you need to start your year on the right foot. And if you like James McBride's story, Goat, and the conversation that we had that followed it, why not check out his memoir, The Color of Water? It's about strength and identity, and it ends up being a tribute to his mother. And you can listen to it right now on Audible, whether it's on your phone, through your car, from a tablet, or at home on an Amazon Echo. You can get through tons of books while doing almost anything. And Audible even lets you switch seamlessly between devices, picking up exactly where you left off. Start a 30-day trial, and your first audiobook is free. Go to audible.com slash LeVar or text LeVar, L-E-V-A-R, to 500-500. That's audible.com slash LeVar or text LeVar to 500-500 for a 30-day trial and free first audiobook. You can do it with audiobooks. Now, let's get back to our story. The Welsh word for owl once meant flower face. When Izzy said Bladawet was made of flowers, Anissa had imagined roses and lilies, flowers she was forced to read about over and over in books of English literature. But as she reads, she finds that even Bladawet's flower names are strange to her. What kind of a flower is broom? And she likes that, likes that no part of Bladawet is familiar or expected. Anissa has started teaching herself Welsh, mostly because she wants to know how all the names in the Mabignakian are pronounced. She likes that there is a language that looks like English, but sounds like Arabic. She likes that there is no one teaching it to her, or commenting on her accent, or asking her how to speak it for their amusement. She likes that the single F is pronounced V, and that W is a vowel. 
likes that it's an alphabet of secrets hidden in plain sight. She starts visiting the Owl Center every weekend, feeling like she's done her homework if she can share a new bit of Mabignacian trivia with Izzy and Bladoweth in exchange for a fact about owls. Owls are birds of the order of Strigiformes, a word derived from the Latin for witch. During Anissa's first year of school in England, a girl with freckles and yellow hair leaned over to her while the teacher's back was turned and asked if her father was dead. No, Anissa stared at her. My mom said your dad could be dead because of the war, because there's always war where you're from. That's not true. The freckled girl narrowed her eyes. My mom said so. Anissa felt her pulse quicken, her hands tremble. She felt she had never hated anyone in her whole life so much as this idiot pastry of a girl. She watched as the girl shrugged and turned away. Maybe you just don't understand English. She felt something uncoil inside her. Anissa stood up from her chair and shoved the girl out of hers and felt in the moment of skin touching skin a startling shock of static electricity. The girl's freckles vanished into the pink of her cheeks and instead of protesting the push, she shouted, Ah! She shocked me! In her memory, the teacher's reprimand, the consequences... The rest of that year all melt away to one viciously satisfying image. The freckled girl's blue eyes looking at her terrified out of her pretty pink face. She learned to cultivate an appearance of danger, of threat. She learned that with an economy of look, of gesture, of insinuation, she could be feared and left alone. She was the girl who came from war, the girl whose father was dead. The girl with powers. One day, a boy tried to kiss her. She pushed him away, looked him in the eye, and flung a fistful of nothing at him, a spray of air. He was absent from school for two days. When the boy came back, claiming to have had a cold, everyone acknowledged Anissa as the cause. When some students asked her to make them sick on purpose to miss an exam or assignment, she smirked, said nothing, and walked away. Owls have a narrow field of binocular vision. They compensate for this by rotating their heads up to 270 degrees. Carefully, Izzy lowers her arm to Anissa's gloved wrist, hooks her tether to the ring dangling from it, and watches as Bladoweth hops casually down onto her forearm. Anissa exhales, then grins. 
Izzy grins back. I can't believe how much she's mellowed out. She's really surprisingly comfortable with you. Maybe, Anissa says mischievous. It's because I'm really good at not asking anything of her. Sure, Izzy says. Or maybe it's because you keep talking about how much you hate Moth, son of Mathanwi. Ah, that prick. Izzy laughs, and Anissa loves to hear her, to see how she tosses her head back when she does. She loves how thick and wiry Izzy's hair is, and the different things she does with it. Today, it's half-wrapped in a white and purple scarf fluffed out at the back, like a bouquet. He's the worst, she continues. He takes flowers and tells them to be a woman. As soon as she acts in a way he doesn't like, he turns her into an owl. It's like he needs to keep being in charge of her story, and the way to do that is to change her shape. Well, to be fair, she did try to kill his adopted son. He forced her into marriage with him, and he was a jerk, too. You're well into this, you are. It's just... Anissa bites her lip, looking at Bladoweth, raising her slightly to shift the weight on her forearm, watching her spread her magnificent wings, then settle. Sometimes I feel like I'm just a collection of bits of things that someone brought together at random and called girl. And then Anissa, and then... She shrugs. Whatever. Izzy is quiet for a moment. Then she says thoughtfully, You know, there's another word for that. For what? What you just described. An aggregation of disparate things. An anthology. That's what the Mabignakian is, after all. Anissa is unconvinced. Bladoweth's just one part of someone else's story. She's not an anthology herself. Izzy smiles, gently, in a way that always makes Anissa feel she's thinking of someone or something else, but allowing Anissa a window's worth of view into her world. You can look at it that way, but there's another word for anthology, one we don't really use anymore. Florilegium. Do you know what it means? Anissa shakes her head and blinks, startled, as Bladoweth does a sidewise walk up her arm to lean gently against her shoulder. Izzy smiles a little more brightly, more for her, and says, A gathering of flowers. Owls fly more silently than any other bird. When her father joined them in London, three years later, he found Anissa grown several inches taller and several sentences shorter. Her mother's insistence on speaking Arabic together at all times, pushing her abilities as a heritage speaker to their limits, meant that Anissa often chose not to speak at all. This was to her advantage in the schoolyard, where her eyes, her looks, and rumors of her dark powers held her fellow students in awe. It did her no good with her father, who hugged her and held her until words and tears gushed out of her in gasps. The next few years were better. 
They moved to a different part of the city, and Anissa was able to make friends in a new school, to open up, to speak. She sometimes told stories about how afraid of her people used to be, how she'd convinced them of her powers like it was a joke on them, and not something she had ever believed herself. Owls purge from themselves the matter they cannot absorb. Bones, fur, claws, teeth, feathers. Is that for school? Anissa looks up from her notebook to her mother and shakes her head. No, it's Welsh stuff. Oh. Her mother pauses. And Anissa can see her mentally donning the gloves with which to handle her. Why Welsh? She shrugs. I like it. Then seeing her mother unsatisfied, adds, I like the stories. I'd like to read them in the original language, eventually. Her mother hesitates. You know, there's a rich tradition of Arabic storytelling. The power flexes inside her like a whip, snapping, takes her by surprise, and she bites the inside of her lip until it bleeds to stop it. Stop it. And I know I can't share much myself, but I'm sure your grandmother or your aunts would love to talk to you about it. Anissa grabs her books and runs to her room, as if she could outrun the power, locks the door, and buries her fingernails in the skin of her arms, dragging long, painful scratches down them, because the only way to let the power out is through pain, because if she doesn't hurt herself, she knows with absolute certainty that she will hurt someone else. Illness in owls is difficult to detect and diagnose until it is dangerously advanced. Anissa knows something is wrong before she sees the empty cage, from the way Izzy is pacing in front of it, as if waiting for her. The Dowet's sick, she says, and Anissa feels a rush of gravity inside her stomach. She hasn't eaten in a few days. I I'm sorry, but you won't be able to see her today. What's wrong with her? Anissa begins counting back the days to the last flare, to what she thought. And it wasn't this, it was never anything like this. But she'd held the Mabignakian in her hands. We don't know yet. I'm so sorry you came out all this way. Izzy hesitates, while Anissa stands frozen, feeling herself vanishing into misery, into a day one year and four hundred miles away. Owls do not mate for life, though death sometimes parts them. The memory is like a trap, a steel cage that falls over her head and severs her from reality. When the memory descends, she can do nothing but see her father's face over and over. Aghast, more 
hurt than she has ever seen him, and her own words like a bludgeon to beat in her own head. Fine, go back and die. I don't care, just stop coming back. She feels again the power lashing out, confused, attempting both to tether and to push away. She remembers the shape of the doorknob in her hand as she bolts out of the flat, down the stairs, out the building, into the night. She feels incandescent, too burnt up to cry, thinking of her father going back to a country every day in the news. Every day, a patchwork of explosions and body counts. Every day, a matter of someone else's opinions. She thinks of how he wouldn't take her with him, and she feels irrevocably as if she is breathing a stone when she sees him later that evening in hospital, eyes closed, ashen, and the words reaching her from a faraway dimness saying he has suffered a stroke and died. Anissa? Anissa? Izzy has taken her hands, is holding them, and when Anissa focuses again, she feels as if they're submerged in water, and she wants to snatch them away because what if she hurts Izzy? But she is disoriented, and before she knows what she is doing, she is crying, while Izzy holds her hands and sinks down to the rain-wet floor with her. She feels gravel beneath her knees and grinds them further into it to punish herself for this, this thing, the power. And she is trying to make Izzy understand, and she is trying to say she is sorry, but all that comes out is this violent, wrecking weeping. It's me, she manages. I made her sick. It's my fault. I don't mean to do it, but I make bad things happen just by wanting them. Even a little. Wanting them the wrong way, and I don't want it anymore. I never wanted this, but it keeps happening, and now she'll die. Izzy looks at her, squeezes her hands, and says, calm and even. Bullshit. It's true. Anissa, if it's true, it should work both ways. Can you make good things happen by wanting them? She looks into Izzy's warm, dark eyes at a loss and can't frame a reply to such a ridiculous question. Think, Bet. What good things do you want to happen? I want... She closes her eyes and bites her lip, looking for pain to quash the power, but feels it differently. Feels with Izzy holding her hands, Izzy facing her, grounded as if draining something out into the gravel and the earth beneath it and leaving something else in its wake, something shining and slick as sunlight on wet streets. I want Ladoweth to get better. I want her to have a good life, to be whatever she wants to be and do whatever she wants to do. I want to learn Welsh. I want to... Izzy's face shimmers through her tears. I want to be friends with you. I want... She swallows them down, all of her good wants. How much she misses her father, and how much she misses just talking in any language with her mother, and how she misses the light in Ria, 
and the dry, dusty air, the sheep and the goats and the warmth, always of her grandmother and uncles and aunts and cousins all around, and she makes an anthology of them. She gathers the flowers of her wants all together in her throat, her heart, her belly, and trusts that they are good. The truth about owls. Anissa and her mother stand at the Owl Center's entrance, both casually studying a nearby freezer full of ice lollies while waiting for their tickets. Their eyes meet and they grin at each other. Her mother is rummaging about for caramel cornettos when the sales attendant, Rachel, waves Anissa over. Is that your mother, Anissa? whispers Rachel. Anissa goes very still for a moment as she nods and Rachel beams. I thought so. You have precisely the same smile. Anissa blushes and looks down, suddenly shy. Her mother pays for their tickets and ice cream, and together they move toward the exit and the picnic area. Anissa pauses on her way through the gift shop. She waves her mother on, says she'll catch her up. Alone, she buys a twee notebook covered in shiny metallic owls and starts writing in it with an owl-topped pen. She writes, The truth about owls, but pauses. She looks at the words, their shape, the taken-for-granted ease of their spilling from her. She frowns, bites her lip, and after a moment's careful thought, writes, Iguir um but she has run out of vocabulary, and this is not something she wants to look up. There is a warmth blossoming in her, a rightness pushing up out of her chest where the power used to crouch, where something lives now that is different, better, and she wants to pour that out on the page. She rolls the pen between her thumb and forefinger, then shifts the journal's weight against her palm. She writes, Analhatnya Analbumi Muaira. The truth about owls is complicated and smiles. Uh, I love Anissa and and her journey. She reminds me a little bit of my kid, of of Michaela, of Mika, in terms of her fierce independence and insisting on living life on her own terms. Um, she's also a character who is in the process of discovery of so many things uh, about herself and the world around her. She's discovering things about the nature of grief. And she's discovering this relationship with this owl, this extraordinary creature. I have always loved birds of prey. 
um, and and have known falconers uh, all all of my life. Was never a falconer myself, but always in, enjoyed hanging out with with falconers and, and birds of prey. My good friend Bob Nixon uh, is a falconer. I had uh, a friend Steve Miller um, back at St. Pius who was a falconer um, and had a peregrine falcon. I've falcons all around my house. I've always had eagle energy, you know, um, in my life. And, um, and recently I was in Japan with my family and they have these, <laughs> they have these amazing things. They're called owl cafes where you can literally go in and they will glove you up and put a bird of prey on the gauntlet on your hand and you get to hang out with an owl or an eagle. But it's this just like wacky, extraordinary, otherworldly experience where you get to go and hang out with the kind of creature that we just don't have contact with much anymore in the modern world. And they are unbelievably strange animals, especially those barn owls that types that have the, the round faces and, and they can rotate their heads almost completely around their bodies and 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 they're large creatures surprisingly i mean the ones that were at this some of them were small but the one that i held was surprisingly large and heavy and they they are amazing and dangerous unless you're mindful you you know you need to you need to be on your p's and q's um when you've got an owl on your arm you know so I, I really responded to this story on, on so many levels, but mostly I, I loved the character of Anissa and, and the, the journey that she's on, the journey of discovery of who she is and how she fits into the world. She's figuring it all out sort of on the fly. And, you know, I, I can remember as a kid being in that fantasy realm and feeling like I had power um, and could make things happen in the external world and... The real truth was I didn't, but I wished I could um, and sometimes thought maybe I did, you know. Um, and I think every, every kid who has parents who divorce wonders, am I the cause? Am I some, did I make that happen? If you were ever as a child to get a glimpse of the, the kind of powers that you're wishing for, as Anissa does, you, you would naturally be terrified you would be scared shitless of 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 that power um and 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 how out of control um it could get very easily um and that's that's the nature of power none of us i believe are natural wielders of power we fail miserably at wielding power as human beings i think that, that we really do need to learn. We have to learn how to walk in balance and wield power simultaneously because it, it is a corrupting influence. It will, it will make you crazy. It will give you the impression that you are better than everybody else and that you are rightfully able to live by a different set of rules. It has that sort of corrupting influence. And, um, and, and one has to fight very hard and be ultra-conscious if they are living an experience of power in terms of not abusing it and, and not allowing it to change you. 
Our producer on this episode of LeVar Burton Reads is Julia Smith. Our assistant producer is Audrey No. Editing and sound design by the very talented Adam Dybert. And thank you, as always, to the resplendently feathered Matt Gorley. And we are grateful to our friends at Little Everywhere for their help in producing today's episode. I want to give a special thanks to Amel El Mokhtar for allowing me to read her story. And if you loved this story as much as I did, you can find one of her other award-winning stories in the collection, The Starlit Wood. And look out for her book, This Is How You Lose the Time War, which is forthcoming from Saga Books next year in 2019. Find all of that info at Amel El Mokhtar, that's A-M-A-L-E-L-M-O-H-T-A-R dot com. And hey, if you love the show and want to help other people find us, it's easy. Give us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. And in that review, why not tell us what story you want to hear on the podcast? We've been using your suggestions for season two, and they have been, as I would have expected, absolutely fantastic. We'll be back next week with another hand-picked story. Or, if you can't wait that long, listen to the next episode right now on Stitcher Premium. You can go to stitcherpremium.com slash LeVar. Or, if you're listening in Stitcher, just tap the menu button in your app and select Premium, and you'll get one month free. LeVar Burton Reads is a production of Stitcher. Our executive producers are Chris Bannon and Jenny Radelette. I'm LeVar Burton, and you can find me on Twitter at LeVar Burton and LeVar.Burton on Instagram. The LeVar Burton Kids Skybrary app is available at LeVarBurtonKids.com. I'll see you next time, but you don't have to take my word for it. Stitcher. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today.